Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I don't do bubbly. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 207, a.k.a. I Want Your Cray Cray, is sponsored by Club Alias. Opening never. <laughs> Pete, here we are at the midway point of the season, and before we dive on into recap and analysis, I just want to point out this brilliant notion that we had six episodes of story, then got to this episode as a flashback, almost entirely a flashback, then Mm -hmm. we're going to do another six where the story continues. It is a perfectly balanced story. It really is, and given all the fun we're having podcasting this, uh, we'll be back on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. tomorrow night, uh, and then back for more Jessica Jones. It was a welcome break in an already great season. Absolutely, and with that, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what the episode was all about. Alyssa hated Florida, but took the trip and lost everything, including herself. She awoke in a hospital, her face a mass of scars, her strength considerable as she tried to escape. Dr. Carl is there to knock her out, to stop her from attacking young Jessica. Time passes and she is much healed, though her head is bald and scarred. She's in a genetic technology clinic, and she's been there for five years. A moment goes by and she asks about her kids, her husband, and is ultimately told that her husband and son are dead and that Jessica is alive. She's also told that she's the product of genetic editing, reorganizing her DNA. It seems she looks different now. Later, Alyssa, finally named, is perfecting her wig look while angry at Dr. Carl's attempt to perfect the outcome of his genetic therapies. He's going to tell her about Jessica while she gets strapped into a manacled chair and he takes some readings. Thanks, Nurse Luann. You can step outside. He tells Alyssa that Jessica is with a new family now. Her readings spike, but her emotions stay in check. He tells Alyssa Jessica believes her whole family is dead. Her emotions do not stay in check. She rages about seeing her daughter and pulls the manacles out of the chair until Dr. Carl dopes her. Later, Nurse Luann and Nurse Inez are unlocking the sedated Alyssa, but her pills are in a sock. Quickly, Luann is dead, and Inez has a back full of glass. She tracks down Dorothy, who hasn't heard from Jessica in some time, though Dorothy has heard that she's shacking up with some bartender. Still in the past, we see Trish singing, I want your cray-cray, and it's as bad as it sounds. We can see it on Jessica's face, too, but Trish likes it. It could win a VMA. Jessica's off for more bourbon. She doesn't do bubbly. Dorothy is there. That Trish is in the bathroom getting high is A-OK for Mom. The party leaves for Trish's place, Trish and Jessica's place, with Jess just wanting to go to a quiet home to study. But she can't. Trish pays her tuition, her rent. Jess proves she doesn't need Trish. She rips open an ATM, and Trish leaves acrimoniously. Her car pulls away, and a just-fired bartender from the club offers to buy her a drink. Time goes by and Jessica and her bartender kind of boyfriend Sterling are smooching as he tries to guess her middle name. He slides her ID out of her jeans, Jessica Campbell Jones, her mother's maiden name. Then they break into a store to get her iconic leather jacket. Don't steal, kids. 
Sterling's mom is pressuring him to be a plumber, and he wants to open his club, Club Alias. Talk turns to her and Trish, to whom Jessica hasn't spoken in a month. Isn't it time for everyone to meet? JJ takes Sterling to meet Trish at the club, and she's ready for that cray-cray tour to start in Miami. Detroit. Whatever, it's all fun and totally not about drugs. It's about the drugs. But Trish is happy that Jess has a beau who knows about her and her powers. He's a great guy. So great he gives Trish a club alias card. Want to invest some time? Later back at the apartment, Sterling has visitors from Wyatt and Humpty and Dumpty. Wyatt wants his investment back. A few punches later, Wyatt and his crew are running scared from the powered Jessica. The stories of Alyssa and Jessica finally merge. The mother tracks down her daughter, still retaining some effervescence, kicking a fire plug to spray water on hot kitties. Alyssa tails Jessica to a bar, where her daughter smiles at Sterling. Jessica steps into the ladies' room, and Alyssa follows. There's some friendly banter and reminiscing about old times, albeit Jessica not making the connection. Alyssa steps out, and Wyatt's friends are back. They want to forgive the debt and hire Jessica as the muscle for their other businesses. But Alyssa isn't happy. She beats Sterling's head against the wall, then disappears, having killed the decent, albeit imperfect, man that her daughter loved. Later in the club, a distraught Jessica is looking for her friend and finds a strung-out Trish in a compromising position with the club owner. He calls Jessica an unflattering word, and she verbally tears him apart, telling him to redefine that word. Jessica mourns Sterling's passing, feeling guilty, feeling that he was killed over her. Everyone around her dies, though Trish says she'll live forever. Maybe that's a cry for help, but she'll address that after the tour. It's a heartfelt scene of two women, two friends, two sisters, admitting that they are both at rock bottom. Turns out they're on the roof of Trish's apartment, watching movie man's projections of an old classic, Touch of Evil. Back at IGH, still in the past, Alyssa is back, and only Dr. Carl isn't afraid, not even of the blood on her hands. He promises to make her well enough to see Jessica again. Finally back in the present day, we are where we left off last episode, with Alyssa asking for forgiveness. Jessica punches her mother instead, and Dr. Carl dopes Jessica, knocking her out to end the episode. What suspects draw our focus in this episode, Pete? Surely we're going to start with mom, a.k.a. Alyssa, right? Absolutely. And an effective way with the stinger of the previous episode that this is mom, an effective way to start with the car crash, the flashback to reveal that that she was meat face all along. Somebody we assumed was a man uh, the first time we saw the character. Uh, the, the tremendous healing she's undergone, but not without the emotional uh, side effects. And now to have brought herself back after she kills uh, Sterling and um, to, to catch up with Jess. And Jess is not having it. I think on the one hand, kudos to the show for having such a sympathetic uh, I mean, I suppose only it's only fair to call her a villain, seeing as how she kills uh, a number of people and whatnot. But 
for entire portions of this episode, you can look at her as absolutely a victim. She does not know what's going on. These medical things are being done to her without her consent or her family's consent. Uh, as Dr. Carl says, the law has been broken. Uh, she's been declared dead. All of this is illegal. So there's that degree of sympathy. Then you just see her going, you know, going off course, losing her temper, these emotional swings that result in a number of deaths. In my mind, the most, uh, the most awful death of them uh, is perhaps uh, Sterling, who, while imperfect, seemed to be a completely decent person and, more importantly, a good fit for the Jessica who Jessica was back then. Well, um, we're gonna, we'll discuss his possible inclusion here in a moment. Uh, but on the subject of uh, Alyssa, it's what this show does well is layering on the complicated nature of character, particularly with her. Here's somebody we should be rooting for, but they've given her this strength and these emotional outbursts that are, again, a side effect. So we can pity her, but at the same time, we feel um, repulsed by the acts she commits. Yeah, it's certainly that dual nature there, and you can't completely condemn her, and you can't completely sanctify her. Uh, th that's a harder kind of character to to write, to be honest. I mean, it, it would be easy enough, and maybe this is apples and oranges, but the, the litany of evil perpetrated by Kilgrave, you know, <laughs> there's not many people out there who are like, oh man, he's like Darth Vader bad, still cool. Like, no, Kilgrave is hideous in every regard. Um, and and I'm, I'm certainly not saying, therefore, it was a, an easier or cheaper uh, effort in the first season. But to make Mom the villain, at least thus far, to make Mom a villain, let's put it like that. I know you could probably make an argument that Dr. Carl is the story villain so far. But to go this route where you can see both sides simultaneously as an audience member, A, that's really smart from the writing room. B, it's trusting that the audience is smart enough to not be like, Wait, where's spandex person fights spandex person? And it just it just really, really works. A little bit more black and white is Dr. Carl Malice here, who, as you pointed out, against uh, any kind of consent, performs these experiments, this Gentech clinic that he's running off the books, et cetera, et cetera. The number of years that he has Alyssa Jones in his possession, we've seen evidence of some kind of a relationship between the two of them. Who knows how consensual that might be? Um, so definitely not a good guy. Well, and I mean, to stick with the topic of consent for a moment, given her emotionally fragile state, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of these things, what consent can she objectively give or what... Uh, what consent can we as the third party ob uh, objectively uh, accept that she has given to him? Uh, I think the answer is none, even if she feels it's okay and he feels it's okay, that sort of thing. It's such a, you know, it's such a power imbalance situation there. I don't know to what degree the remaining episodes will explore that amongst the other, uh, you know, the other issues, uh, external and internal in relation to the story that, you know, that, that could be explored. But She's not in a position to be, she's not clear-minded enough to be to be giving consent. And 
he certainly should know better. Oh, but wait, he's the evil doctor. Of course, he does not know better. He's, as I said before, thus far, he's probably the story's biggest villain at this point, which is saying something because how many people has Alyssa killed? Like four or five on screen? Yeah, but again, we have that sympathetic nature to her that somebody's done this to her. Um, here, Dr. Frankenstein has created his monster. I think that's a great analogy, and, and that that's the perfect way that he can be assigned the blame, quite frankly, of those deaths to a certain degree. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not, I, I, I feel much less sympathy for him than I do Alyssa. I think that said, you know, have there been scientific advancements that are made by stepping outside the normal process and things like that? Sure. I mean, that certainly is not to say, so therefore let's do illegal experiments on comatose, non-consenting accident victims. Uh, but I'm just thinking of, you know, theoretically, if this was a different story, could he be working on a medical breakthrough that's going to uh, ease the suffering of thousands or millions of people in the future? Okay, theoretically, and that's probably what he tells himself at night, but, you know, a little a little gray area for him as well, but I don't know. There's just something about, about the actor's portrayal here where I don't, I can't ever be trusting in Dr. Carl. And that's where I think the, the choice of actor is really effective. Callum Keith Rennie, again, great work on Battlestar Galactica. He's bounced around a little bit since then, but, you know, almost, uh, in disguise with the with the hippie hair uh, at points and the and the goatee, um, but really does wonderful work with this character. He does, and there's there's a sparkle in his eye that, that I think is probably just uh, part of the actor's presentation. You know, not uh, not something that's an affect of the character, but there's just something where he feels sympathetic, and you you want to. You want to believe that smile and you want to believe that confidence of, hey, we're doing good science here. It's just not true. <laughs> it's as simple as that. He's, he's crossing the line unquestionably and it's, you know, I'll stick with what I said. He remains the villain, the big bad villain thus far. Well, how about a meeting between two of our villains, Matt? We had Alyssa and Dorothy. Um, Walker meet here, obviously Alyssa under the guise of the math teacher and for Dorothy uh, to show up at the club against the wishes of her daughter to be part of the VIP cadre to, to latch on as she usually does to hear what's going on with her daughter. And there she is drinking out on her. I mean, <laughs> No news here, or at least no new news here, that uh, that Dorothy is a terrible mother. I don't know if there's some some stuff in the writer's room that they need to work out about their own moms. Uh, but, I mean, we have that theme again of, of Dorothy as the bottom feeder. Um, Dorothy, unconcerned that she's... Uh, you know, that she hasn't spoken to either of her daughters. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully she has uh has a great deal of uh of love and affection for jessica um but unconcerned that that neither of them speak with her at, at some point um again i mean there's some shading to the character too and i think that that's wonderful i also think that there exists in the real world real people who are like that um 
where you just say, well, there they are in their cycle of denial and betrayal and mooching and things like that, where she feels really real, even though she still is this stereotyped, you know, stage mom and enabler. Absolutely. And by the time that she interacts with what we know is Jessica's mom, you know, there she is with the hat on doing her thing. Of course, she's not going to give any real helpful information about Jessica. And these are sins of omission rather than sins of intention. They're still sins nonetheless. Well, she is. <laughs> I mean, we've seen it time and time again, particularly when it comes to things like uh, Trisha's underage interactions with the director, uh, when we've seen it with being confronted at least by by implication that her her daughter is uh you know is using drugs again and her complete you know explaining it away i mean to me that's the biggest motherly sin uh you want to be a lousy stage mother or you want to be a prima donna or you want to get a free drink because of who your kid is not cool but also not kind of doing the primary parenting job of protection absolutely and speaking of protection, Matt, someone who gets protection and then needs protection uh, down the road is Sterling. You know, I think I have a little trouble seeing him objectively just because I'm so I'm so entranced by this character of Jessica Jones that the fact that she in this. I don't think she's on a downward downward spiral when she's with him. She certainly has. Embraced. Oh, hmm. let's see. Knocking over ATMs, uh, stealing the now iconic leather jacket, stealing boots, getting this guy whatever he wants when he says, get it for me. Um, I'm not really pleased with the way they've retconned a now um, pattern of behavior with Jessica. I think this character weakens Jessica. I think that she was on a downward trajectory. How about this way? I think that that there was this pent-up desire for something other than being Trisha's daughter. And that's not a a misstatement there. Being Trisha's daughter because Trish pays for college and Trish pays for rent. And Trish is the, uh, the, the, the new protector, the new motherly figure. And I think that she was looking to break away from that. The direction happened to be down because not for nothing. Let, let's do the math here, Pete. Um, sweet midtown apartment paid for check. Uh, somebody's paying for, you know, all expenses paid at New York college university check. Like that's not a bad situation to be in, even if you have to put up with some loud parties and whatnot. But Jessica is, there's a self-destructiveness to her, whether that was born out of the loss of her parents. That's probably the most, you know, kind of, kind of clinical notion, but she was looking to go to take a step down in life. This thing with Trish was the excuse to do that. Uh, the, the boyfriend here did not make her knock over the ATM. He was on the scene, but not you know on the scene in her life when she did that. I don't know, Pete. Am, am I making excuses? How about this More way? of pin- it goes on while he's around. He's I, a poor influence. Okay, and then well, wait, there's. I pin her sins on her. I, I how about this? Here's where here's where I get to have my my 
you know, because a feminist cake and eat it too. Her, she owns her sins. He didn't make her do that. He didn't influence her to do that. She was making crappy, crappy decisions on her own, as was her right to do. Hey, babe, I want to buy you something nice. Looks at window. She opens window, steals jacket. That's a poor influence. But I'll take it even further, Matt, since clearly I haven't swayed you just yet. Uh, how about that he uses her, what seems at the point in the episode, like a long con. He's been together with Jessica a month and, uh, hey, let me talk to Patsy. Here's the card, the whole nine yards. Oh, you know what? Somebody like you would be great to play there. Looking for investors. Let me give you the whole pitch and the disgust on Jess's face. She doesn't even want to talk about it. She just wants to get out of there. She got done wrong i'm not excusing his behavior for that i'm just saying that his choices i think by and large are independent of hers is she angry at the world yes is she on a on a you know negative path yes uh is she doing too little to advance herself in the world yes but the fact that he's i don't know i think he's at a he's at a similar place in life as well and i don't think that that's her fault and i i really truly minimize his effect on her own self-destructive side he just happens to be self-destructive with her you know he's on this path where the where wyatt and the toughies want their money back and this and that the other i i put his decisions on him and her decisions on her well i will try one more uh salvo here at this matt so by the three-quarter mark of the episode when Wyatt and the investors, Humpty and Dumpty, what I call the Sterling Investment Group, the Ster Sterling Equities, which is a real thing. I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> show up and he cuts a deal with them because now they want to use his girlfriend's super abilities and he cuts a deal with it. What kind of good guy does that? I have a much more difficult time excusing that away. I think that Alyssa's read that he essentially was pimping her out. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily agree with those words, but I think I'm by and large. He was souping her sentiment. out. Well, I, I, yeah. I I think that I think that her, her sentiment is a good one. That said, he owns that. I mean, what would her response have been? I guess there's my question. That would have been an interesting scene to play out. Would she have said, get lost, I'm too independent for this? Or would she have been so loyal to him? Would she have been prepared to be defined by him? The story is probably better off not doing that because then you're going to say, oh, she is choosing to be defined by him. Then chronologically later, with varying degrees of will most of it against her will she's now defined by Kilgrave. this is now a character who's defined by men and this is a whole direction you don't want to go uh you know it becomes a pattern if she accepts uh sterling's uh you know sterling's desire there so story-wise they made the right choice but i'm not gonna say that she would have gone along with that my gut is she would have you know told him to take a hike and if she didn't i still think there would have been a ton of sympathy i would have felt a ton of sympathy for her as somebody who's self-destructive enough to be allowed to allow herself to be pimped out it's funny for an episode that i loved so much his character and his involvement with jessica 
is really making me feel lousy about this episode. Um, oh, this I'm is so- nothing but an episode that's about all of their failings. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a nice guy who has a dream and wants to do better than be, being a plumber. Side note, as everybody, the saying that everybody has is totally true. You got to be a plumber to be able to hire a plumber. So no shame against the, the plumbing industry there. But I mean, she's she's in a downward trajectory. Trish is in a downward trajectory. Dorothy remains a bottom feeder. Alyssa's out killing people. Dr. Carl's a smiling, you know, abusive, illegal doctor. I mean, there's there's no good in this episode aside from kicking over the fire plug to spray some water on the kids in the hot, hot New York City sidewalk. Well, let's talk about Wyatt Humpty and Dumpty Sterling's investment group. There is, Matt, a real Sterling investment group, Sterling Equities, which is the, um, shall we say, name for the New York Mets investment group that invested money with Bernie Madoff. Maybe you've heard of that. I have to wonder, I have to wonder, given the location, given the investment scheme nature here, whether somebody in the Jessica Jones writer's room is a Mets fan, has felt wronged by the way the Mets have treated their finances over the last, I don't know, we're coming up on a decade now since the Bernie Madoff scandal, where the Mets as a large market team have not properly reinvested funds into the team instead have been trying to climb out of this hole created by investing with Bernie Madoff. There were clawback lawsuits, et cetera, et cetera. What say you? Uh, I think if nothing else, it calls for a, uh, calls for a tweet after we're done recording tweet at Melissa Rosenberg. I went to see if episode writer Hilly Hicks jr. Side note, best name ever. Um, (laughs) but, uh, Mr. Hicks, there, a, uh, a playwright and Pete, educated at nyu so and columbia pete he's a fellow columbia grad so this is not some guy that you know grew up in kansas then went to la don't get me wrong i'm sure he has plenty of la experience as a writer uh at least some of it actually looks like mostly um no he's done some tv but um pete i'm gonna see if we can find him on twitter and the very least we can tweet at melissa rosenberg and say is this a sly sly dig against uh against the mets at all because uh I mean, Pete, am I correct in saying it's just in the last year or two that the Mets stopped paying restitution for, or the Mets money people stopped paying restitution for their role in the Madoff stuff? I don't know if it ceased. I mean, the the team and the owners, the the Wilpon family, and then there's another, there's a third uh, gentleman named Saul Katz. They have made a habit of using the team to do other things. For instance, they're now involved in a project out on um, Long Island that a lot of people think, all right, you, you should either sell the team if you're not going to commit 100% to the team and you know invest in the team and not these other places or you know don't invest in these other places. So it's interesting that Wyatt and Humpty and Dumpty have invested with Sterling, are waiting for Club Alias, because, hey, Matt, it's going to be a real thing. Look, I have business cards. Oh, Sterling. Pete, you've definitely had me sour on the character, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, I'll give you mission credit Mission accomplished, a.k.a. mission accomplished. 
Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, where do you want to start? How come we have never heard about Sterling? We know of alias investigations. Clearly, that's where she got the term. Uh, but how come no mention ever, not one sad you know, one-off reference by Trish, like, oh, if only Sterling was here. Um, I think that you get, when you do a flashback episode like this, you get to kick over rocks that you haven't needed to write about before. And I don't mean that as a jab against the writing. I think the part of what you do is go, all right, what, what great secrets did we never plan for in the series Bible, but now still get to fit with everything that we've done before? Um, I'm kind of okay with the fact that, I mean, look, we see in the present day, uh, certainly at the start of this season, we see an unhappy, alone Jessica Jones. We've seen her nominally alone in the first season when she thought Kilgrave wasn't around anymore and to what degree was she still under his influence and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and certainly kind of like mentally she was not alone in that she was still running from his influence in a, in a conscious way. Um, so she's alone and unhappy. I, I kind of have enjoyed that we, A, we get to see her in a happy, dumb, early 20s relationship. That's okay. I think also the fact that we get to see this pattern here where she, in the present day, is most... Though she is unhappy, she is able to most be herself while alone. However, let's go back in time. She had her parents. Then she had Dorothy and, and Trish as, uh, as an adoptive family. Then she had Trish as a we're on our 20s and all by ourself family. Then she had Sterling. There's a pattern here of when's she going to leave a nest? When's she going to be able to fly free herself? And I think that's interesting, too, that here she is early 20s and goes from the comfort of one person's home to another person. And it's like she doesn't have this confidence to go to go it alone yet. I think that's that's an interesting place for her to be story wise. Yeah, um, I, I just I wish we had some kind of hint at it before. And, and I get it. And, you know, Matt's thing is often everything doesn't need to be connected, but. You know, Excuse me, to, it's everything doesn't need to be a thing connected to a thing is what it's I, called. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag it's all connected. Um, you noted, Matt, the uh, alias and Alyssa uh, duality within this episode, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I was halfway through the episode, and I should say, you know, I was watching, uh, you know, watch the episode with the subtitles on, so the fact that um, disembodied voice of Alyssa and the subtitles was credited at word go as Alyssa. This is as she's you know, recalling her past. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, oh, story cheat because they haven't said that on screen yet. Then about halfway through, somebody says, Alyssa, are you okay? So I'm like, all right, at least she's officially named here. Um, but Alyssa, alias, you know, we haven't, at least I don't think we have known Jessica's mother's name before this episode. So, hey, I think the they word. intentionally hit it. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw Brian yeah. um, before, um, who I believe was the brother, right? I believe so. Uh, Brian might have been the husband. We've definitely seen 
the reference was made to the husband's name in this episode, and reference has been made to the brother's name. Um, I feel like we would have heard an Alyssa before. We would have had well, this discussion. Well, it begs the question, then. Whose ashes are in the box? Ooh, that's good. Well, uh, on the one hand, ooh, that's good. Here's the, here's the answer, Pete. IGH got a body. <laughs> or IGH paid off the the you know the funeral home to put other remains in there i don't want to be certainly disrespectful to the no i mean that's been characters. a thing in the last couple of years there's actually been a a spate of uh investigations into funeral homes and people have paid for um funerals that never took place for bodies that were never buried they found in minnesota they found uh, petrified bodies uh, in a garage that uh, they took payment for, that uh, loved ones weren't under the impression had been interred or cremated, and they were hanging out in a garage. Well, that is awful. That's and ghastly yeah. is what that is. Let's, let's lighten the mood, Matt. <laughs> Let's talk about um, the, the thing I thought was really interesting, apart from the uh, standalone nature largely of this episode, were how long the chapters, if you will, were. You know, we have this big portion at the beginning where Alyssa is telling her story. And then, you know, we get the, the meat face she wanted to hurt teen jessica not knowing who it was they bring her back they explain oh you've been here now five years then we go to jess and trish in the club cray crane it up that's a very long scene she meets sterling there's a there's a number of super long scenes in this episode which is something we've not seen on this show i would say add to that oftentimes I wonder I wonder how often the final episode that we see differs from the script by way of edit. It's crossed my mind that when we get these scenes that are like, you know, like, you know, mom is running down the street to go do something. Meanwhile, Jessica this. Meanwhile, mom is now coming off the street. Meanwhile, Jessica and things like that. I wonder how much of that is like, oh, man, the fourth act is dragging. Well, let's intercut two scenes to amp up the tension. Uh, this is almost the opposite of it. I, I know that my... Um, my episode summary, you know, was slightly out of order just to uh, lump together like a lot of the Alyssa stuff and then the non-Alyssa stuff. But you're absolutely right. We just get these we get these long stretches of story here, story here. And it's not that, oh, man, it's the showdown, you know, and fast cutting and things like that. It's a it's a much more tempered story here. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say, Pete. To the Fantastic Geek Facebook page we go, Matt, where Stacy, that's Stacy with an E-Y, Matt, Taylor writes in, just finished watching episode 205 of JJ. I love where the story is taking us and am so looking forward to what Hogarth becomes. 
I fear it will be a tease at the end of season two to set up season three. I'm not that familiar with all the Marvel characters, but I imagine you can speculate if she'll be a protagonist or antagonist. I assume the latter. JJ is not my favorite series of the Netflix Marvel shows, but I'm really digging the storytelling and enjoying watching JJ actually being a nicer person. Look forward to listening to your recap of this episode on Sunday. She had sent this Saturday night. We're recording a little bit in advance. And uh, I told her, uh, we're, we're loving Jessica. Thanks for listening, Stacy. Robert T. Frost followed up by saying, uh, with Trish starting to use the performance enhancer, will Jessica have to help her kick? that addiction or could she become her next adversary and then stacy followed up by saying episode 206 is highly suggestive of what might happen kind of smiley emoji showing teeth it is interesting to think that the show is kind of the show has enough space this season to present these characters as falling back into old habits uh, Malcolm is trying to come up with a new healthy addiction, whether it's work, whether it's working out, whether it's, you know, dating the ladies, uh, be safe, buddy, be safe. Uh, you know, but he's trying to, to replace that addict is addictive personality with something that isn't heroin. Here we have Trish, you know, it made sense when she took the first puff of the magic dragon inhaler. Uh, she wanted to go protect her friend and be super powered, but now she's continuing to do it. She must know that she's back in this routine again. She must know that here she is going through withdrawal. So she takes another hit and, you know, and she bumps again and she bumps again. Um, I mean, Jessica, you know, uh, as I've said in prior podcasts, I have a, I have a hard time doing too much of the Jessica's really drunk humor because I think she's an alcoholic. And I think that, you know, there, there's a limit to where that's funny with our fake character, you know, not, real people but you know with our fake characters only so far we're drunk haha and you go no she's an alcoholic point is they keep getting back into these same ruts which is interesting because you know melissa rosenberg spoke at paley about the freedom from the network model you know if this was a network model it would be jessica jones 3.0 at this point let's present the new her and let's do whatever as opposed to here we are again just with a new story I love the nature of this episode to inform where they are right now in their lives. Well, I, for one, really look forward to these remaining six episodes to see where they end up, see if they can break that cycle. See, though, Pete, they are going to stick together, these two sisters, Trish and Jessica, kind of like how our patrons at patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, they stick with us. They keep us going even when we're feeling low. Uh, except we don't use the uh, power-enhancing Huff steroid thing. No, not at all. And your funds will never go to pay for that for Matt. Um, <laughs> for Matt, that is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, everybody who contributes at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, gets exclusive podcast content from Fantastic Geek, not to mention all the levels you can choose to contribute at. So thanks again for helping us do our thing. Always appreciated. But Pete, the number one thing that's appreciated is being able to talk to you on Twitter. How can people do so? 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,834 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast any way you like. Visit FantasticGeek.com, email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with ph all one word like it today well let's see pete for those listening on the pop culture podcast feed we'll be back tomorrow for agents of shield keep on going with jessica jones jessica jones jessica jones then more shield if you're listening on the jessica jones feed guess what it's all jessica jones all the time can't wait to do that next episode with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word Hey, yay.